Hello everybody, welcome back to episode 5 of Between Giants. I am your co-host Gabriel with my esteemed co-host Ishmael. What's up guys? Back in the game at the podcast. We took a little bit of a spring break, but we're back in this. Yeah, you know, we went all over the world for spring break and we're ready to talk about it. Yeah, let's do it. Um, in case you were expecting some sort of cosmopolitan uh, you know, view of the world, you know, we, we're like... We're humble farmers. That's what we are. Yeah, we're here to talk about humble things. Yeah. Like... I'm ready to talk about reading. What's what's do you, do you like reading? What's your relationship with reading? Reading? Yeah. Um, I read a good thing. I mean, you know, I'm in a book club, and I'm wow. in, since our high school days, we've read good books and shared it with each other. As for like class readings, um, I'm I'm a senior now, so like, <laughs> ain't doing much of that. But yeah, definitely, I love a, I love a good book. I love being invigorated by writing. I think I think our last episode. Where we waxed lexicon about Herman Melville for <laughs> oh, dude. for twenty yeah, minutes yeah, for proves sure. it. So go for it. What's what uh, you what's think? your favorite book? I just want to know. Shit, um, favorite book. I like I like the short stories Ficciones by Borges. It's a bunch of his stories. Yeah, I, yeah. As for favorite book, I, I think that's too hard for me to say. Really, I have I, Pride and Prejudice, Jane Austen. Really? I really like Jane Austen. She's I think the wittiest uh, writer ever. Every time I think about my favorite book, I'm always like, there are books that I really like, but I, I'm not a re- I'm not a big rereader. I'm just like, I like yeah. a book and like, you know, just move on to the next thing. Yeah. But if if my metric of my favorite book is the amount of books I've, the the most book I've reread the most, the book I've reread the most, um, I think that title would have to go to Jurassic Park, which I've read like, like ten or eleven times, some stupid number. Uh, in case you haven't read the book and only seen the movie, the movie's pretty good. Um, the bu- but the book is fantastic. Yeah, Jurassic Park. I haven't read the book, but I've heard a lot about uh, the math of chaos theory involved yeah, with yeah, it. Yeah. So, uh, I'll, you know, I'll let you talk about what you're going to talk about and not... So, the reason I bring up reading is not so we can talk about good books like everybody else. But I want to talk about the mechanics of reading, specifically the neuroscience behind reading and how it relates to stuff that you might be familiar with, like Siri, and how they recognize language. Oh, that's always been interesting, because Siri, I mean, they have to put in accents, too. So they, yeah, they, yeah. you see a bunch of videos of, like, the most famous one I've seen is, like, Siri doesn't understand Hawaiians, and like yeah, they like yeah. talk to Siri, and Siri just doesn't get it. So I'm actually really interested in vocal recognition, especially since we have it i have it on my xbox one now like it's, it's always listening to me and i can i can say anything and it'll listen i have alexa two feet away from us where i mean i said her name and she probably lit up right now like <laughs> waiting for a command um so first i want to give you a basic idea of how we read um and how the brain works in terms of like how it puts together language cool i thought you were going to teach me how to read i was like that's we got that down i, <laughs> I got that uh, down. welcome to the elementary podcast where we teach how to read <laughs> for all you three-year-olds this listening to podcasts po- out there <laughs> podcast brought to you by letter r <laughs> <laughs> no um okay uh if you're listening to this you can probably read is my guess yeah no if, i would say that's 100 percent certain you can read and you know most of the modern world is literate and you know it's it's very interesting to think about as adults because reading is almost second nature to us. You know, we read all the time, or read yeah, signs. Yeah. You get a restaurant, you get a menu. It's just part of your life. Yeah. But it's easy to forget that reading is not ingrained in us in the same sense that speaking and talking is. Oh, it's a learned skill, of course. You have to learn how to read, and if you don't learn, then you just 
just never happens. Oh, and I can attest to that. I mean, we did go on spring break, and I went around. And when you go to, a, like, we both know Spanish, but... And it's been rare, because I've been to a lot of Spanish-speaking countries, but I went to a French-speaking country, um, or half of the country. Yeah. I went to Montreal, which is heavily French. And they all know English, a good majority, but still, like, stores, signs. It was. I felt like I was, like illiterate <laughs> like i i could not connect with some people yeah. and on a per, like a human level i felt some type of loss of self it was very interesting but uh continue with your train of thought and you know if you're a child reading is a really really important part of child development that's how you know your child is progressing in schools that they're learning how to read and how to write um it turns out in terms of like areas in your brain that are at work yeah um your brain basically reformats parts of its brain to work for reading. And that's basically what you're doing when you're a child is you're retraining your brain to do stuff it wasn't originally supposed to do. Now, with this in mind, that means there are uh, uh, quite a bit of limitations to reading. We can do a lot with reading, and we have for thousands of years. Yeah, of but course. But that, that, that means that, you know, it makes sense when people have a difficult time reading or why there's so much, you know, people with bad literacy and dyslexia is even more common than you right. would expect yeah right we're not meant to read so that's why sometimes there's a lot of problems with reading yeah. but i want to break down the mechanics of that and sort of let you know how your brain reads all right teach me about my brain okay so imagine you got a sentence in front of you you know the the quick what's what's the sentence the quick fox jumps, jumps over, over the lazy, lazy dog. dog yeah yeah it uses every letter in the alphabet yeah so imagine that sentence in your head right now yeah or you're reading it across the page the only part of your eye that has enough visual resolution to actually read is called the fovea. This is the center mm -hmm. of your eye. It's, I, th I think it's like a little off center. Yeah. But it's the fovea eye. It's got the most concentration of, of uh, nerves that let you visually dis distinct eyes. And for somebody who's not uh, biologically uh, adept, maybe like a good example is uh, pixel density, highest resolution area. I know eyes don't work in the same sense, but... Yeah. You like, imagine you're watching a YouTube video, and it's got really bad quality. On the outside. Right. right. You, could, you could think of that as your peripheral vision. And once you get, like, a really high-quality TV, you get those really high resolutions. That's more towards the center of your eye. So, in some ways, you're saying the center of your eye towards the out, your peripherals are a gradient in quality. Exactly. Okay, yeah. got it. Exactly. Um, if, you're, if, you're, if you've ever run about uh, how fast you read, sometimes uh, you might think, the, the, the print of a book is really small, and it it maybe may, sometimes it feels really difficult to read. But because the print is so small, that means you can see more of a word within mm -hmm. the fovea of your eye, so you can actually read faster than if you have bigger words, in which your eyes have to move more yeah. in order to read. The actual movement of your eyes is more a determination of your reading speed than your, like, any actual you know, like, intelligence you might have. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just a fun fact. But that aside... Take a word that we, the most common word in the English language, the. Okay? Mm -hmm. You're reading this word. Um, your brain basically has two processes that's, that goes on when you read simultaneously. And this is the beauty of the brain that does not happen in computers, is that we have what you might call parallel processing, in yeah. which two things are occurring at once. The first thing, the, the probably thing is most familiar, is that. The, your, your brain is breaking down all the lines in the word and constructing them um, bottom up into different words. Got so it, it takes a stroke, it takes two strokes, and it recognizes, oh, that's a T. Okay. 
Got it. So I know that's a T. And then it looks at the H and it does, breaks it all into all those little parts. And then the E, it breaks all those into little parts and builds them up into the, into the word the. Mm-hmm. At the same time, it's looking at the word top down. So it's scanning the whole, it's, it scans the whole word. And if it recognizes that, that block in particular, it'll say, okay, that's also the word the. So, mm. so it almost is uh, simultaneously verifying the word two, in two separate ways. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Now, there's a, a bunch of steps in between that. So, say, for example, uh, my brain is determining what letter this is. Um, if, it determine, if a certain group of cells says, okay, of neurons, fire for the, for the, word, for the letter T, they do two things. Um, they increase the chance. Okay, so this is the kind of weird thing about brains is that they're sort of like um, you're sending a memo through to your company, right? You're of course, your emails. Yeah. Um, basically, a, a bunch of workers send a, a bunch of memos, and then once enough of those memos, once a threshold is reached, um, they basically you, uh, your brain comes to a consensus that goes, okay, it's this. Yeah, and then one neuron sends a passive-aggressive memo saying, did you guys read my last memo? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 so it, it, it promotes the, what the neuron thinking, and it, and, and it suppresses something that could be something else. Yeah. Um, so when you're reading a T, it says, okay, the probability that this is a T is really high, um, and the probability that this is an S is low. Awesome. Um, so it does that simultaneously. So it starts creating this web of probabilities. Yeah, almost so you, like letter clusters. That, yeah, so okay. you can imagine a bunch of different bubbles all with probabilities, and that's basically your brain at work. It's saying it's re- it's probably this, and once it reaches a satisfactory threshold, it goes, that's the decision we've, we've, we've come through. That's what we know. Yeah. That's um, really interesting. I mean, I can. I, that that sounds like a great reason why reading a language that you don't know but the letters are very similar is so frustrating because you like you try to get through it when you kind of know the language but it's the more you go the more like amorphous it becomes and and the more frustrated you inevitably get it's like no matter what mood you go into it you're gonna be frustrated and i think it has to do with a little bit of your brain just not being able to process that um that's really interesting though so uh, what was that parallel parallel process parallel processing all right yeah so you can see this in how quickly you are to read some words. When I said the word the is the most common word in the English language. Yeah, you don't even notice you read that. So, the, so if you, just a little bit more technical about uh, the way brains work, is that um, your neurons work on an electrical impulse. So that means that they have a voltage associated with them. Um, the standing voltage for a neuron is negative 75 is millivolts. Okay. Um, now, put that in perspective. Is that high? Is that low for voltage? I mean, I imagine. Um, I don't know that much about voltage. Like, uh, like a AA battery is like two point five volts. Okay, so it's like much smaller. It's way smaller. <laughs> yeah, 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 in terms of voltage, it's like you, you not get electrocuted. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah exactly. You're not gonna, sense, yeah. Your brain won't fry yourself. Exactly. It doesn't make any sense. Um, so imagine um, you got an indicator that says negative five seventy five negative seventy five millivolts. Um, and then when your brain receives a signal, it basically, uh, the ions inside the neuron, um, I'm, I'm not going to go into, there's like, it's a chlorinate and uh, uh, potassium. Yeah, don't get into the orgo. Anyway, yeah, that, th- those basically get switched out and the voltage of the thing changes. 
And I forget where it goes. Um, I forget what the threshold is. Um, but anyway, it so the the voltage rises, and then it, that gives that tells the the neuron it's this is the signal I need to fire, and it passes on that signal. Yeah. Um. So it fires, and then it goes back down, back to seventy five. It it goes past minus negative seventy five. So there's a bit of a period in which the neuron cannot fire again. Mm. Delayed. Okay, awesome. Right, and then it goes back to the normal state, and then it's ready to fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a couple things here. Normal state, act, the, the threshold activation, um, then a period of rest, and then back to normal. Mm-hmm. So you, it, for, if I'm getting this right, okay, it's a biological limit to how fast we can read. Right. Wow. And, I mean, that's, I mean, that's any process in the brain. That's yeah, for all that's cells. That's any process in anything. Computers have a limit on how fast they yeah, can process. Yeah, yeah, um, So, But the, the brain is good at manipulating this to be more efficient. Mm. So say, for example, uh, a, a certain neurotransmitter is telling this, uh, this neuron, okay, instead of making the resting rate minus 75, let's make it minus 60. Okay. That way it'll be easier for it to reach the threshold once it gets another signal again the the way neurons work is that they're not based on how intense a signal is it's based on its frequency interesting the more often a neuron fires a signal that's basically its strength it's not about how the, it'll always be the same threshold it just will reach there much more quickly i see what you're saying so that's why the further you get in a book the more the easier it becomes to read and the more immersed you become in the in the universe and the lore of the story right so once you once you have such a common word like the your brain, those neurons that are trained to read the word the, they're extremely primed to go out, to fire off extremely quickly. So they don't have to do almost any work in order for your brain to register that's the word the, because I'm used to seeing that word all the dang time. Yeah. So I don't need to, you know, it's just quick. I need to be ready to see that word. And that's how you create things like expectations. Yeah. Um, and how you anticipate stuff is that your brain is like primed and ready to go. Um, and that's how you get fooled by those meme type yeah things exactly like you're reading this wrong go back and check it out there were two thes or like there exactly was a, yeah, yeah, exactly yeah. your brain is automatically correcting it it's it's already it's it's weird to think about stuff like that because yeah. you think you're always seeing reality as it is yeah but, but it's rarely. really your brain curtailing your experiences to your expectations yeah that's crazy and that's a really wild way to think of that. And I think that's a discussion for another that's time. Good, that's good relationship advice right there. It's <laughs> your, your brain curtailing your experiences to your expectations. That's, that's really interesting. I mean, to think that something that in, in recent years, because it is recent, that reading has become necessary and ubiquitous mm-hmm. in any language, in any culture, and, and easily accessible to all people. Um, the varying levels of course varying levels of reading but but functional reading is is accessible to almost everyone and to think that 50 40 maybe 30 is a stretch i'm not that well well versed in in history of literacy but uh you know at least 50 years ago there were uh, like a good chunk of people that couldn't read and i know 100 years ago like majority of people couldn't read which is and and this is language aside like any language they couldn't read um so it's interesting to think that it didn't used to be necessary and almost makes me want to bring up the question because I know you love talking about it. We take adva- we take for granted that we read, but were humans ever evolutionary pr- evolutionary prepped for it? Did we need to learn how to read? I mean, the 
the it's the way I understand it, the need for writing came with the rise of civilization, mostly for trade. Yes, of to course. keep track of trade. So in property, Mesopot- in some sense, yeah. property becomes the reason. You know, in Mesopotamia, you know, sometimes you have to keep track of like a ledger. You basically have to keep a ledger. So yeah, know, like yeah, what's yeah. going on and laws. And that was a necessity. Yeah, that was a necessity for uh, reading and writing. Interesting. And that's in evolutionary terms, ten thousand years ago, not even a factor. Yeah, that's really interesting. So I think I can almost definitely say we're not built for reading. But it, it goes to show the amount of brain plasticity that you have, that your brain can basically reprogram itself if you, you know, if you teach it early enough. That's wild. I mean, it's, neuroplasticity is awesome, I think. I mean, like at least three years ago, every like company was trying to take advantage of the, the word neuroplasticity, putting out like apps <laughs> yeah. that cost money to help your brain build. Mm. But I mean, like, all you got to do is do it early. I mean, you can learn anything. There's no such thing we know now as, like, a, any dog at any age can learn any trick. Exactly. We know that now. Um, but, you know, it's easier when you're young, you know? For sure. So uh, why not take advantage of it? Um, I I just can't wrap my head around the idea. Because I, I've always been interested in, in the way uh, we, we process language, uh, not biologically, but the idea that I can say this word or I can just write on a piece of paper my mouse is broken. And you know I'm talking about a computer mouse and not a uh, a, a real living mm-hmm. mouse. And you never have to question that. You never have to say, dude, what mouse were you talking about? I'm confused. I, is it a computer <laughs> mouse? Your brain will read that and then just, like, you'll know. And that's really interesting. Right. So I talked about the mechanics of, like, just, just un- like, recognizing a word. But I didn't talk about the meaning, how your, word, your brain derives the meaning. So there's two different ways. There's the, I think especially at least for the English language, we can derive a lot of meaning phonetically. Yes, of Which course. is how the word sounds. Yeah, and I, I want to be clear that we're talking mostly about uh, Western language and, uh, and English as our main focal point. We also know Spanish, both of us fluently, um, as our native language. Yeah. But uh, uh, I think there, a lot of things we'll say are, aren't going to be true of languages that are character-based. And, yeah, like and Chinese. Chinese, Japanese, uh, but uh, I think uh, this still the processing, the yeah, brain processing it's, it's is similar. the same. It's the same hardware in our heads, you know. So it might not be like phonetically the same, mm-hmm. but I think the bio of it makes sense. But yeah, continue with what you were saying. So you have this sort of phonetic language. So when you start how to, you, you know, you, I, I know I referenced Sesame Street earlier, but you know in Sesame Street how they, they teach how to read a word, like um, I don't know, it's like C is for cookie. Like cookie, you know, they, they teach you to put the syllables together, cookie, cookie, yeah. and then like repeat it faster until it becomes a word. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I remember that segment. If if you've ever become a, a word that you don't see that often, or that maybe it's a new word, your brain basically defaults to that, mm-hmm. which is basically like sending out the syllables and then putting it together versus language. Yeah. When you've got words that you see all the time that are really common, they just go straight to the sort of lexicon part of your brain that don't they don't need this phonetic processing. It can immediately grab onto meaning. That's awesome. I mean that's crazy. I I, I read about once uh, how the brain, because when you hear Spanish, a lot of people say that my mom talks fast. Or when yeah, we yeah. talk in Spanish, we talk fast. But uh, I learned, I think it was in Vsauce. I learned uh, that it's actually not faster. It's sil- it, the syllables move faster. Mm-hmm. Um, you get like almost double the amount of syllables in a sentence that you would get in English. 
in the same amount of time, but the content of language of what is being said is almost the same in the same amount of time. So, and a lot of languages follow that average of how much content can you you can process in in words per second. So I think like it's really interesting to me the way uh, we all think we we think we're real different, and but like at the same in many ways languages can really be broken down to like no just if you really like think about it it's obvious it would have ended up this way and, and it's really interesting how good your brain is at optimizing reading um i mean think about how many different fonts there are think about how many different Dude. print sizes nobody gets tripped up because something is in 14 point font as opposed to 12 point font <laughs> that'd be, that'd be technically these are totally different strokes like the, the those little pieces that your brain is reading they're totally different mm -hmm. but they end up in the same pathway you're it, it's not even uh doesn't even affect your brain it's just like oh yeah of course that's a g it's just in times of roman as opposed to Arial. that being said can you explain what the fuck a wingding is then because my brain can't <laughs> process a wingding what type of fonts are those honestly i some clown some clown put together put, put together that. There's like a Vox video that explains what it is and is it? how it's important, but I, I forget it because it's windings. I doubt it. <laughs> Who uses it? Um, but uh, I know I, I promised at the beginning that this had to do about Syria. Oh so, yeah, let's get into that. So you remember that uh, that map I, I talked about, that that probability map mm -hmm. about how your words are put together. Almost like a, what, what's the thing? Uh, it, it's like, a, it's online. It's a flowchart. It's almost like a flowchart. Yeah, chart almost like probability. Like a really yeah. complicated flowchart. Yeah. It's a actually a real mathematical model that somebody created like in the 1800s. And then the people who were researching this were like, hey, I can use this guy's totally obscure mathematical model to map out how the brain reads. Um, That's awesome. So like they put together an algorithm essentially. Yeah. And the Siri goes through this similar process of like recognizing breaking down bits of language and saying, oh, it's probably this word. And the more, the more confirmation it gets to that, the more it comes to the conclusion, it's this word. It's a similar process to how you recognize letters and stuff like that. That's so interesting. When, he, when Siri hears a certain phenome, um, it'll think, okay, uh, that the probability that this is, that he's asking me for how much, where's the nearest Chinese food takeout is like 70% or like 80%, you know, I don't know. And then it goes, okay, this is what I'm going to decide is what he asked me. And then going to process that. Hmm. Wow. I saw serious probability, basically. Yeah. And Which is why sometimes it gets it right. And, and sometimes it gets it right. right. And it's been getting better. I mean, yeah. not Siri specifically. I just mean vocal recognition. I remember when uh, like Mass Effect had it on the Xbox with Connect, And it was like, <laughs> you couldn't get that shit. Like, <laughs> why, would I, why would I say door open instead of like press a, pressing the a button you know yeah, like that's really funny but like now it's like useful now it's it, it, xbox off and yeah. then like buy or like you know it, i think that's really awesome uh anything else about the the way we read um no um i would if you're more interested i would recommend a book called the science of reading by an author whose name i, I just don't know author names dude yeah i'm so sorry it's called the science of reading well we'll we'll try to put it in more um because we try to keep these conversations natural so we don't like do tons of yeah. prior research about it. I don't even know his topic, he doesn't know mine. So, you know, we'll try to like plug at the in the middle of an episode from now on, starting next episode about the books that we bring up or the movies sure. that we bring up. Um, yeah, but does that all for reading? No, that, that's all. If, uh, you know, any questions, I'm happy to clear them up. Uh, dude, we can talk a lot about the bio of that. I just want to know what wingdings are. <laughs> it stays like that, man. 
Who? Nah. Or yeah, Wing Dings and Comic Sans. Comic Sans. Why do we hate Comic Sans? <laughs> it's like our, I love Futura. That's my like new favorite yeah, yeah. font. I'm into Georgia now. Georgia? Yeah. Yeah. Why do we use Times New Roman? That's a separate conversation. <laughs> we're, we're getting too much into fun. Yeah. Okay. I'm gonna bring up my topic. Sure. And it's less uh, scientific. In fact, it's the opposite of scientific. It's um pleasure. Uh, Ooh. And by pleasure, I specifically mean the pleasure of having experienced the release of Zelda Breath of the Wild, <laughs> which is an immense masterpiece of a game. And I know some people might disagree with the masterpiece point, but I'm going to stand by that. I think it is one of the best games released in the last five years. Um, and I think a big part of that is not its size, not its sheer glory, because Skyrim has more hours of game. Um, I think it's polish and, and depth of thought, where they've, they've thought about every single interaction that you can do in this game. They've thought about, and I haven't, I haven't even played more than like five, 15 minutes of it, I've watched hours of it online because even that is a fun experience in and of itself. But it's just so surprising how Nintendo, for a while, especially with the Wii, the original Wii, has kind of put themselves in more of a gimmick kind of game zone where like they're more into the party games that show off like their motion and all that stuff. But they just hit it right on the head with this Zelda game where it's just like this is an open world game the way it should be. No hand-holding. Um... No making this easy for you. I'm not even going to explain to you what to do. At this point, it's like it's an open world and you do it. And a lot of games have tried. And there have been great open worlds. Um, Far Cry, there's a... What's... what? Uh, you know, the older Assassin's Creed's like are beginning. Kind of the beginning of Fallout, these type of open worlds. Fallout series. Fallout series. Um, even GTA, St. Rose. Great yeah, open yeah. world games. But um, to, to their defense, they're great games, but... There's a lot of hand-holding in those games. Um, think of, like, Batman the Arkham series. Like, mm. the level of doodads and gadgets and writing and, and, like, notifications and hologram people talking to you and telling you what to do next. It's like, it becomes like, all right, I get it. Stop beating me over the head. I know how to play this game. And I know they want to reach the most amount of people. But I think Breath of the Wild hit on it that you don't need to... You can, you can allow the players to be intelligent. And still have a great game. Uh, what do you think about that, man? Dude, there's something, there's a quality about Breath of the Wilds that is so, it's almost indescribable. I, the art direction is so cohesive. Everything. Everything it. feels, I mean, there's beautiful sights. And everything feels like it fits. It feels like this is a really organic world in which all of these things exist. Yeah, so true. Um the thing I think is really interesting about you know making the player or letting the player be intelligent is that they put you, they they almost give you this cartographer role, mm. in which mm. you are, you, you know you have a map, and you know there's like there's a typical like uh, there's a tower and then once you unlock the tower you know you can see an area of a map, but rarely do games let you put your own landmarks and with such variety. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I know from the towers, they don't give you bonuses. It's, yeah. It's, Assassin's Creed had the same kind of concept. They kind of pioneered this open world, like, eagle points where you go. And yeah. Then, but, like, when you do an eagle point in Assassin's Creed, it, it like, tells you everything yeah, after yeah. that. This is like, all right, look at the view. Cool. You can see the places you might mm -hmm. want to go, but we're not going to, like, put it on your map. And, like, you saw it. Like, get there. You know? That's wild. Yeah. The, 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 uh, it's so rewarding to, like, 
to put a pin on your map and then go to it and be like, wow, I, I followed that all the way through of my own volition. There was like, there was like no road. There wasn't like a way marker in my head. I was just like opening my map and walking around and I made it to, from point A to point B. Yeah, man. I think it's the things I did kind of just sitting there and going, what if I did that? And the, the fact that they had thought about that interaction, um, like, I just, off the top of my head, I thought it would be funny if I gave um, a, a one of the, I forget the little goblin monsters. Bubble cleans? Yeah, bubble cleans, yeah. I thought it would be funny if I gave them one of my leave yeah. things to blow me away. And it did it. Like, it picked <laughs> it up. And, and I also remember once... I was fighting one of the larger... I haven't played this game enough to yeah, even yeah. the names, but one of the larger monsters, not a Lionel, but the, the second strong after the bubble cleans. Yeah. I threw one of my swords at it, and it caught it. Yeah, yeah. And used it against me. I thought that was wild. I was just... I didn't even... <laughs> I, like, And it just makes me think, like, they must have sat there and said, what should we do in every occasion? All the time. Like, what should, what should this person be able to do against this 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 and that and it doesn't feel like a regular game of like uh, button mashing mm -hmm. and it doesn't feel like a game of rock paper scissors like a lot of games are yeah, like yeah. if this enemy is this use this and they win obviously they're like items and guardian boosts that you can use to beat them but yeah. it's not as simple as just have this and you will win um, it takes a level of uh, knowledge and skill especially since which blew my mind you can't save your recipes you just have to know them Wait, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you cook something, it doesn't, like, save in a menu. <laughs> you just have to know these recipes. And okay. That's, like, that's, like, I feel like most game developers wouldn't do that nowadays. Like, that's very, very risky. But it paid off. Um, I just, you know, like, when's the, what's the last game that you've played where you were just like alright get me out of the tutorial like let me turn off all these tutorial things let me skip the like what game have you been where it's like the tutorial is actually fun I don't know the the tutorials that I've had like that were like they were almost like barely tutorials like the Dark Souls tutorials oh they, those aren't see that's like, like in the same vein but I think like I think it'd be remiss to say that Breath of the Wild is completely innovative because it took a lot of mm -hmm. notes from Bloodborne and the Dark Souls trilogy. Um, Nintendo-fied it. Yeah. Definitely, because uh, <laughs> it's not as painstakingly gruesome and it's not as hard. Uh, but it is It is in the same vein. You hear that dying music and you see you the you have died thing and it's, it's like very obvious that like, oh, they kind of got that from Dark Souls. Uh, and the level of... Uh, innovation is there the level of like oh let me go check this out and the hub worlds and like you know just walking around but unlike dark souls it stays fun all the time <laughs> dark souls does like dark souls you just enjoy the experience of getting through it yeah uh breath of the wild found a way to make like just roaming fun you mm -hmm. know and that that's a, that's a talent in and of itself i i think uh another thing it took from dark souls is this satisfaction you have with your weapons and being able to handle them because mm -hmm. there's i mean i've played a bunch of games that are really trying to be like dark souls um, i don't know if you've ever heard of like lords of the fallen i have not is it worth um, hearing about it, it's 
Imagine a clunky Dark Souls. Okay, then why would I want to play it? I'll just yeah, play Dark it's, Souls. Yeah, it's it's so weird. They like they like they like go for the aesthetic. They go for this like Gore. dark, greedy castle, and enemies are hard and things are hard. But they don't have this. But they don't have that reward built in to the game. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and Breath uh, Breath of the Wild has that. Uh, once you figure out the you know you know the gardens, you can parry their laser. Yeah. The first time you're able to do that, it's the greatest feeling of all time. Oh, and it's you're like badass. actually invincible. And it's badass. And but it takes timing. It takes quality timing. So but you bring up the good point mm-hmm. because you talk about the weapons. And I want to save this for about now. They break fast. Yeah. And there's a lot of argument about mm-hmm. whether that's a good thing. Yeah. I'm on the side that it's a great thing. Um, because it makes you think in a way that just finding the best sword and staying with it for a lot a long part of the game wouldn't. Um, and I've played games where, I mean, like, throwing it back to the Kingdom Hearts series, which you know is one of my favorite. Mm-hmm. Once I got, like, the sword I wanted, that's the, like, that was enough stats for me. I didn't need to get anything else. In fact, using anything else was like stupid. Like, why would I? Why would I? <laughs> You're deliberately making the game worse. Yeah, this is this is like true of many games, even in Dark Souls, where like, yeah, why would I use anything but my strongest weapon yeah. unless there was an advantage to it? In which point, that's my strongest weapon. You yeah, always yeah. use the strongest piece of armor, the strongest thing. And I thought it was so interesting to not have that crutch. That being said, I think it does break a little too fast. <laughs> Um, but I didn't get too far in the game, so it could be the early weapons that break yeah. ridiculously fast. Um, but I liked it. I thought it, it kept me on my toes, and it keeps the game from being just you know farming for the best thing and then beating the game kind of like you know if it, it allowed you to find something that was way out of your skill rank early mm-hmm. because you won't have it forever, so it doesn't diminish the experience of the game. And I think that's amazing. But on the contrary, I hear what people are saying, where it's like. Yo, I put in work <laughs> for this guardian axe. Yeah, and it's gonna break. Like I, I don't get it. What do you think about that? I, I'm sort of on the don't like it camp. Like if, like if, uh, if we're looking at a spectrum here, and a one is totally love it, a yeah. ten is totally hate it. I'm like a three. I'm at, I'm at like a six or a seven. Okay. It's it's kind of it's kind of weird. Um, like, tons of other games have weapon degradation. I remember. Have you played The Witcher? The Witcher series? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they, you have to go get your swords. Like the worst face. part about The Witcher series is that I hit my sword. I hit, I hit a dude with my sword ten times, and it's fucking broken. Yeah, and then it's it becomes like absolutely useless. It's so bad. It, it, there's sort, there's sort of that. I think it, there's a lot of baggage. The, the, with the, I think the reason people have a problem with this is a lot of baggage with weapon degradation. Mm-hmm. They get all these bad memories of like having their weapons broken and feeling useless. Yeah, absolutely. I think if it existed in a vacuum, people would like it more. Interesting. Because I, I love The Witcher as a game. Yeah. And I, I don't even like connect that type of like weapon degradation to what's going on in Breath of the Wild. Because The Witcher's weapon degradation was almost like a uh, like a menu stat based. Like, yeah, yeah. I can, I, you work the math around it. Breath of the Wild, it seems like a part of the game. Yeah. Um, it, they included it well, as I mean to say. I think The Witcher 3 I loved. There were parts of the game that were just stitched together to make a game. <laughs> and like, that's a problem with big AAA yeah. games. It's, they and this is why Breath of the Wild feels so different because it was like a really good concept game, whereas like sometimes The Witcher can feel like and and other games can feel like they just put that in there because this this team was working on it and they never really talked to this team and they didn't like find out how to make it a cohesive part of the game and I feel like they did that with durability. I feel like they did that with the side quest where like there must have been a team focused on side quest and like not really making it a interesting part of the game um which 
I think Breath of the Wild does. I feel like everything I do is a fun part of the game. I think you're right. There is a distinct feeling between weapon degradation in Witcher and Zelda. Because I think it goes back to what you're saying. If you're playing the Witcher, you have the best sword you, you have equipped. Yeah. And once it gets degraded, you're not going back to your other sword. What you're yeah. doing is fixing your current sword. Exactly. And you just keep... If you have a good sword, that's just what you're using, you know? I think the the Dark Souls series had a really good balance because they also have of weapon degradation. Yeah. Uh, but it wasn't ever to a severe extreme that you were like worried about it. But it could be a problem. Yeah. And, yeah, and yeah. actually, they for some weapons they even it became another thing you could use. Yeah. So you could trade in some of your weapon degradation for a special skill. And that's that's good. I that's think that's an innovative way to. Yeah, do exactly. It. I think if it, more games did more of that, I'd be cool with it. Yeah, I mean the way I felt the weapon breaking system was yeah. at Breath of the Wild was. It felt like I was playing, and it doesn't feel like a shooter at all. But if I were to compare it to anything, it feels like when you're playing like Gears of War and you run out of ammo on your yeah. favorite gun. like, And there's just no ammo for that gun, and you have to be smart. You have to figure out what you're going to do. Right. I've played. I've never been like, oh, this game is horrible, there's no ammo. Uh, no, I, I, resor- my, I used my resources incorrectly. It was my doing. I know how the game works. I think there is a lot of baggage with weapon degradation, though. I think... The other thing is that there is, you know, there's the completionist who want to yeah. have everything, who want to keep everything. And uh, that's, that's a big majority of the people that talk about games online are the people that want to get the most out of their games because casual players don't really care if they can't keep every weapon. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just want to play the game. So I see where that's coming from, but I think, I don't think, I don't want every game to be a completionist game. I don't want to collect everything in every game. I feel like, that's where games become gimmicky, where it's like, oh, collect all these feathers and you can hear the secret cutscene. <laughs> it's like, come on. Like, yeah. No, Breath of the Wild had a direction, and the entire game follows that direction. There's not a point in the game where you're like, this doesn't fit. Um, but I feel like a lot of games in the same open world do have a lot of parts where it's like, why am I doing this? Like the card, yeah. I mean, like, that. Uh, what's the card game in Lent? Gwent. In, Gwent, Gwent in uh, Witcher. I love that game. Really? But it was. I mean, they made it its own card game. You can play it now. I have. The, I played the beta. Yeah, I'm a big fan, but it just feels like it was like a really like annoying. Why am I gonna spend like time on this part of the game? Like you know, I just don't. It's still a fun game, but yeah. that's very much for the people that want to delve that much time into the game. For everybody else, it's like, why would I? Why would I play these card games on this Witcher game? Yeah. You know, the the weapon degradation is like. It goes against what the instinct of optimizing everything and humans. Yeah, yeah. I mean, humans do this all the time. You're trying, you know, do the best you can at all times, basically, because you get the most out of whatever it is that you're doing. Yeah. Or the, video gamers are trying to look cool, like the coolest. You yeah, can it's too. it's just this like this need to optimize, this need to yeah. be like, oh, I, I got to do this perfectly, or otherwise it's it's not worth it at all. Yeah. It's it was kind of refreshing to have a game that was like, it's okay, you don't need to have the best weapon right now. Yeah, yeah, you exactly. Can just, you can just roll with this, and you'll be fine. And I think that's, that's something that's, like, important, because we have a lot of games that are like, you can't progress until you get this thing. Yeah. Or, like, this is the way you beat this person, so if you don't have it, or if you haven't unlocked it, it's going to be really, really difficult, or you can't even, like, do it, you know, and... It's too handholdy. I think we've uh, we've known this about the industry, and I think the game design of Breath of the Wild hits it right on the head. Um, that being said, what are they gonna do next? Cause where do you go from Breath of the Wild? You know. I don't know, man. Um, do you just like do it again, but then it becomes stale? 
I don't know. I mean, they have the whole Mario, whatever, yeah, universe game, Mario yeah, in New York yeah. City and, and what, stuff. I don't know. I don't know how I'm going to feel about that. I know it's going to be interesting, but it seems Mario like it's... my local pizza shop. Yeah. I know it's going to definitely take notes from Breath of the Wild because they, they hit a good formula, but I'm worried they're going to, you know, sit sit in it and just be like that now. Um, Breath of the Wild felt like, to me, what playing uh, Ocarina of Time felt like. Which is, it's. I think there are two branches of like yeah, Zelda yeah. games. There's the Zelda top-down yeah. uh, map game, and then there's the like world 3D. 3D games, and they're both good in their own right. And I think Ocarina of Time combined with like the first actual Legend of Zelda, and like bring all the the quality up to this mm-hmm. year, and we have Breath of the Wild. That's how I feel about it. And I don't even want to get into the Zelda timelines and where it fits. I, I, I'm not a... I think... I'm pretty I'm sure a, the people in the title just don't care. Yeah, it's like really... It's, it's either that they don't care or they actually have a very elaborate, complicated Yeah, they're like... They're, they're either the ultimate masterminds yeah, or... Yeah, exactly. Because like, the Temple like, of Time is there. It's like degraded. And yeah. Lon Lon Ranch is there and it's like not there anymore. <laughs> and it's, but like, part of me wants to be like, they're just Easter eggs. But other parts of me would be like, what is this world? And how many links are there? What is this? How do I become a link? Is Link yeah. Jesus? Like, what's going on? <laughs> oh, that'd be a good podcast episode. Link is as the Jesus, Messiah yeah. of, 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 of Hyrule. You know what? I'm over uh, Christian, mytho- uh, Christian uh, symbolism. Why yeah. can't he be like Abraham? <laughs> That's the- also Christian. You- okay. Well, no. I mean, it's also Jewish. Uh, but it's, if I, why I'm, can't he be I'm out of... I, I, am over the abrahamic yeah um type of by abrahamic religions i mean the you know ones that follow the torah bible and quran being like huge prominent story plots uh i i am interested in what the world would be like if we followed more you know different religions um i think that's coming up one day in a podcast because i I love thinking about that stuff but uh, that's all i got for breath of the wild man um, if it's anything, it's a breath of fresh air Ooh. to play that game because um, I've been playing a lot of League of Legends with <laughs> you and and a lot of Overwatch, and those don't have stories. And you know me, I'm a, I love a good yeah, yeah. story driven game. Same. So it felt good to get there and play one. Uh, you got anything else to add on that? Um, no, it's the Breath of the Wilds. I think it stands stands atop as one of the best open world games, and I think it. People, stand, people yeah. will be breaking this game down into its formula for a while. Oh, I can't wait to see a speedrun. Yeah, I haven't yeah. looked at any yet. But uh, or like a no weapon win. You know, <laughs> yeah, beat game people 40 do minutes, ridiculous yeah. stuff. But uh, that being said, it's, it's been an episode of Between Giants. Um, sign off, my friend. Great. Uh, thanks everybody for listening. We'll be back next time with two new fresh topics. And remember to share with your friends if you think it's interesting. Yeah, you can find us on Stitcher Radio, the iTunes app. And if you're someone that just likes to listen on the web, you can go to our page on SoundCloud. That's at Between Giants. And uh, we'll see you next time. See you.